Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to the Evolve Move Play podcast. Today, I'm here with uh, Stefan Vigru. So for those of you who don't know, Stefan was one of the very early adopters of parkour, the second generation of parkour athletes. He trained directly with David Bell, who um, was one of the, the founders of parkour, as well as members of the Yamakaze, who are some of the other founders of the discipline of parkour and l'art du déplacement. He went on to uh, really become one of the leading teachers in the UK and spreading parkour around the globe with Parkour Generations, which he co-founded with Dan Edwards and Francois Mahop, or Forrest. Um, now you're teaching in uh, in Dubai and have started uh, Parkour Dubai, or is that what's the name of the company you have there? It's Parkour DXB. DXB stands for Dubai, yes. Yeah, so Parkour DXB, and also teaching seminars, kind of trying to re- connect people with the origins of parkour uh, all over the world with uh, with parkour origins. So um, I, I'm a huge admirer of Stefan's. I, his grace and style were really inspirational to me in the beginning. Um, and I've always admired his way of flowing. And particularly, I think it's quite interesting. Um, I believe that uh, one of my favorite vaults, which is, a, you know, the thief vault, as people call it in English, uh, I believe that you came up with that, right? You came up with that because there was a, a saldu shah that you couldn't do. Yeah, yeah. right. The situation may come with it. Um, I just adapted to the task and, and the, the situation really. But yeah, I was, uh, I guess that was me. You can blame me for that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, so uh, I think for the, you know, the younger parkour community, uh, uh, you may not be as familiar with Stefan, but uh, there's a huge amount of influence that he's had all over the world. And so it's really exciting to have you on. Um, so thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Rafe. Yeah. Pleasure. So I want to talk about a few different things. I'm, I'm really excited to talk to you. I just uh, got done reading some of your uh, posts about the origins of your your training with, uh, with David and Williams, just kind of reminding myself of uh, the stuff that I want to talk to you about. So I want to talk to you a little bit about the history. I know that that's kind of um, probably the thing that people ask the most about. But I want to talk about the history just a little bit as a way to kind of really get into the philosophy and the things that have been forgotten about parkour. And then maybe at the end, I'd like to ask you some questions more specifically about um, practical advice, how to train and achieve some of the things that you've achieved. Uh, so let's start with, um, for those of uh, the audience who, who don't, really don't know you, how did you get started with parkour? Well, so I started parkour in 1998 uh, in Lys, in the suburb of Paris, in France. And um, basically, I was lucky enough to live near where David and the guys was living. Mm -hmm. So um, I was training uh, breakdance with a friend of mine and, and a bit of Viet Voda, which is a form of Vietnamese Kung Fu. Mm -hmm. And then anyway, he brought this videotape, homemade videotape of, of David and the Yamakasi. And uh, he showed it to me, and then we just played it at my home, and uh, it was uh, that was the beginning of it. So it was it was a visual, it was a very strong visual things for me to to be hit by. Uh, so I was it was visual, visually very powerful in that sense to see those shapes of human body traveling across spaces and, and terrain that was just unseen before, you know, and um, so that was really powerful in that sense. And so straight away after that, we stopped the, the videotape. I went outside, get on the fence, and threw a backflip the first time in my life. Just 
right after that. And then my feet. <laughs> wow. And, uh, and I was like, uh, how, how do we meet those guys? So look, I actually organized a meeting with David Bell in the staircase, in the team staircase in Lis, and that's, that's going to be an opportunity for us to train and meet the guy. So I was thrilled, and we went there, and then um, we started the first training. That's how I started. Excellent. So how old were you when you started? I was 19, uh, sorry, 18 years old. 18 years old. And were you in college or high school? Uh, high school, yes. And um, I wasn't happy with what I was doing really. I was, um, in, in French, you know, we we're very much into uh, cuisine yeah. and, and, and cooking. So I was in a cooking school over there. I had no, no clue what I was doing there really. Um, I had no faith <laughs> in that past. But uh, yeah, I was doing that. And when I actually discovered parkour, I stopped. Um, I quit school mm -hmm. the week after, basically. Yeah. And so you just, you ended up training, what, like eight hours a day? Oh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I quit school and then I was just completely immersed into parkour, training parkour, eating parkour, sleeping parkour, uh, dreaming parkour. Uh, it was more than eight hours a day. It was really, I'm the kind of guy who, who, who does, who, who, who doesn't, you know, I do, I do not. <laughs> and I, I did very, yeah. very intensive. It was 24-7, really. Um, if I wasn't training or thinking or dreaming parkour, I was just resting in between. But it was, it was quite intense, yeah. Mm -hmm. And for how many years were you training like that? Right, yeah, this phase didn't last, you know, forever. I guess I had this kind of intensity for a good four to five years. That's a long time this to train like that. This is where I built myself. I really construct and build myself within that, that fortify. This is where I swallowed, absorbed everything without thinking. And then I started to look back and then you start to realize what you achieved and you, you, you enter into a different phase where you start to realize, you think, you reflect. But for the first four or five years, it was just swallowing, doing, 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 doing at a very high intensity. So, yeah, so... I think that's one of the things that people really don't understand about the beginning era of parkour. Like uh, reading Julie Andrews' book, Breaking the Jump, that was one of the things that struck me was the incredible volume and intensity with which you were trained. Like most people who do parkour now, they you know they see some YouTube videos of people doing some cool jumps, and they and they try to do some jumps, and they're not they're not necessarily adopting it as a as a lifestyle. You know, not replacing their schooling, not replacing their work with with this sort of insane uh, training that you guys engaged in. So I think that's a it's it's a, it's a really kind of a forgotten aspect of the discipline. So you can talk a little bit about uh, what it was that you guys did with all that time, and and maybe why why you felt it was necessary to train in that way. So what we did with that time, I guess, was researching, exploring, uh, looking for answers, and I think that's the why. You know, the why was for me and and for most of the guys actually it was um, I think Julie Angel. Um, pointed it out with, with a nice sentence. It was a quest for identity. Yeah. And I think we were all looking for answers somehow, some ways. And, and, and we had a lot of energy and we channeled it through parkour, which basically parkour is a very wide um, discipline. It's not, it's not just jumping. It involves a lot of different movement, you know, types of movement. So, um, yeah, it, it was a quest for identity, research, you know, research about, about ourselves, about life, and then, and then parkour, which was before wasn't parkour. It was it was in the process of being created. So it was a creating uh, creation process. And that's why I say you, you immerse yourself into something, and then you look back and you realize, oh, okay, this is parkour. But in this process of the creation, you're completely immersed into something, and then you just do things, um, just 
by, by, by intuition really. Yeah. And uh, yeah, the motivation was for me was to find myself. If I have to sum it, sum it up in, in in one sentence, it was really about finding myself. So interesting. You know, people have talked for years about the parkour philosophy, and uh, but it seems to me that for the most part, it, people don't have a very. It's not very easy for people to describe it. And so I've had this kind of perception that uh, that there is a philosophy of parkour that's sort of emergent from practicing it, but that it hasn't maybe been perfectly articulated. And in particular, I think it's hard because the guys who who founded it, for the most part. Uh, you know, you're one of the best English speakers among that kind of early group of people. And so because English is the language that where it's spreading through most of the rest of the world, um, I think there's a disconnect that happens there. So I, I really just to kind of go back. Uh, I, you know, I saw parkour, you know, I fell in love with it. It, it, it called on something to me and, and, and for years I was really trying to figure out what it was. And I remember these, debates that would go on on Facebook. And finally, you know, I think it was Pawa.ru had a, a definition that came out from, from David. And it said, basically parkour is, it's kind of the, the Wikipedia definition is getting from one place to another as fast as possible. It's evade and escape, right? Or evade and reach. That was the, the idea that we got. So I, you know, I, tr I was, I was pretty surprised by that, right? We were doing a bunch of flips off, off things because I came from a gymnastics background. And then it was like, well, well, if we really want to be serious about this, then, then we're not flipping off stuff. We're like really trying to figure out how to go from one place to another. And so I, you know, for years I was trying to like refine the definition of what we were doing so that I could teach my students appropriately. And so I ended up with this definition that parkour was the practice of developing the ability to overcome obstacles effectively. And then kind of I realized later that that wasn't complete and it was like it's the practice of overcoming developing the ability to overcome obstacles effectively and developing yourself through overcoming obstacles and then when I read that book and when I uh, through my talks with you and, and various other guys I realized that I had the whole thing backwards that it was the practice of developing yourself through overcoming obstacles <laughs> and everything else sort of came <laughs> came after that right so so I wanted I guess what I wanted to say is you, you said it was about, you know, discovering who you were. Um, was that what you, was that what it was internally or was that what the story that you were learning as you in, engaged with this one? Didn't you have a story that, about what you were doing when you began? What do you mean? Um, so what was the definition of parkour when, when you first discovered it? Obviously it was... No, it was it was it was again. It was the very very early stage of parkour. So it was still in the process of being in the creation of parkour. So it wasn't it, there wasn't anything established. It was just a spark, yeah. a spark. And, and um, personally, you know, it's, it's just a journey. You know, I've always before parkour, my interest and passion in life always have been about discovering myself, my potential. How can I learn, grow, and improve? And yeah. then eventually share, share with others, serve in some ways. It always had been there from a very, very young age. And I wasn't happy in, 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 in the system that was uh, offered to me, you know, school, the, the, the very academic system or, or the options like go to school, get a job, be happy. It wasn't resonating in me. And I, wasn't, I was very frustrated with that. And parkour just came on my way. Yeah. I engaged with that, still with the idea of, of 
it wasn't that that clear. You know, I, I speak now is after 20 years of practice. Yeah. I guess uh, I've been called by Paco because I was in that um, kind of research about myself and life in general. And I went there and I went that way. I quit everything, all the, the standard academic, you know, path, just dropped that one, went to Paco. I had no clue what it was, no clue where it would lead or what I would achieve through Paco. I just knew it felt right for me to do and it would give me answers. It would challenge me in ways where I would grow, I would learn and I would find the answers. Awesome. So, um, it seems to me almost like, uh, the, the, the feeling I have when you describe it is you guys had stumbled upon something, right? You had stumbled upon something that, that, that was deeply meaningful and you were just, yeah. you were, you were, you had to figure Absolutely. out what it was. You had to go deep yes. into it. Yes, exactly. Deep, yeah. Deep into it, deep into ourselves at the end of the day. Yeah. But uh, yeah, exactly. We just discovered the gem, an amazing tool for us to, you know, like the diamond, like a bit raw, and then you shape around it. It was just a tool for us to discover all that. It's interesting because, you know, I was a gymnastics teacher, and I had been practicing gymnastics since I was 15. I was, I was 23 when I discovered parkour. And, uh, and you know, the, the feeling that I had when I saw a parkour video for the first time was as if someone had taken gymnastics and just ripped the top off of it so that mm -hmm. I saw the layer underneath, the thing that was actually below it, the thing that, that, you know, in my perspective that we evolved to do. And, and so it, it's interesting that it seems like there's this, there's commonality there in this feeling of like, whoa, there's, there's something here. And relate to that. There's an element of truth. That's what I said when I first watched the, the, the videotape, the homemade old school videotape. I was like, there's, there's a strong element of truth in that. You know, it's, it's powerful. The way this body moves, it's like, yeah, it's like the ultimate version of, of, a, of a human being kind of thing. Okay. Well, it looks good now. Um, just was looking at the, the audio. It looked like we're getting audio. We're recording? Okay, cool. So, sorry guys, we had a little bit of a technical hiccup there. Uh, lost audio for a second. So, uh, missed a question that I asked, which is essentially, one of the things that's interesting about the parkour practice for me is that it seems like it's a... I think one of the things that people go into it looking for is a, is a sense of truth, a, a sense of, of, of challenging themselves with something that's as, as real as it gets. So, um, you know, I've done a lot of martial arts training and, you know, most martial arts coaches will tell you don't fight. And that's, that's good because, you know, otherwise you're going to pick fights with people and, and people end up getting hurt. You can't really test yourself in martial arts, uh, without doing a, a sport competition. So most people who train martial arts, they never, they never do the thing that they're training for. And I think this is true in a, in a lot of senses of, of most of the kind of movement disciplines that are out there. But the cool thing about parkour is you can go find a jump where, where you can do it and you can do it within your tolerance, but it, it's real. And if you fail, the consequences are real. And so it's like, a, it's the most real way of, of looking directly at, at what you're like when you face a real challenge. Is that a... Yeah, it resonate for you. I, yeah, it, it's very real in that sense. It's a very direct experience you have. Whether you you succeed or you fail, it's a very direct experience in that sense. And yeah, it, it's it's a way to to reconnect, to link the dots between an idea you have and the reality of the of your action. So you have a thought, you have an idea, you have a feeling. I can do that. I have it in me. 
it's all it's all wonderful in your head and then when you face it and you actually link the two dots between you know what's happening in your mind and your thought and the actual reality of, of the action and it's very real in that sense and there's yeah, definitely an element of, of truth in there you can't lie with sparkle yeah yeah i like that about that um have you are you familiar with uh, nasim talib he wrote the book anti-fragile and the black swan Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, yeah. And so there's this idea of skin in the game. You can't trust an expert yeah. on anything unless they have skin in the game. Parkour is like a, a place to really put your skin in the game on, on having expertise in, in the way that you move your body. I agree. So one of the things I really wanted, you know, with my work, right, I, I teach elements of parkour. I teach elements of martial arts. I teach elements of, of strength and conditioning. I teach elements of dance and capoeira and um and, and I, of course I do it primarily in nature and a lot of people map that to, you know, general movement culture or compare it to move but I actually think in a lot of ways, it's just, um, it, it's a, it's a derivation of parkour primarily. And it's actually, it seems to me that, that, that a lot of what I do was actually contained within the original method of parkour and that somehow that's gotten lost over time. So it's interesting if you kind of talk about some of the things that, that you guys were doing that you don't see in YouTube videos anymore. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. So today we have a very strong communication around uh, movement culture, you know, that embodies all those different practices, dance, capoeira, uh, parkour is, part, is, is one of them now. And it's just, uh, I guess, communication. Today we know that movement culture, that's what it means. It's where, you know, you're generalist and you train all those different disciplines. Um, fine. Uh, the thing is, is from my point of view, who studied parkour 20 years ago, it was exactly like that. Maybe we haven't communicated well um, around this idea, but it was definitely a very broad discipline, as you said. And uh, I found myself training fighting, um, throwing knives. We had a period where we were throwing knives every day. We had them in our backpacks. It was about throwing knives to, you know, trees most of the times. Um, wrestling. Um, lifting dead trees, uh, lifting rocks, um, of course, a lot of jumping, a lot of climbing. I think it was it was it was again an, an, a principle of of putting yourself in a in a challenging position, and how can you adapt to a situation with your body and your imagination, and then and then somehow embrace the the, the struggle. You know, you you have this very uncomfortable situation. It's challenging for you, and how do you? adapt and overcome that, you know, and how do you, how much do you learn from that situation? And those situations was involving a lot of movement, of course. It was very, very broad. It, it, again, back then, parkour wasn't parkour. So it was a, a research of exploring the possibilities with your body and your mind, and how do you react? How do you adapt to a challenge and, 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 and struggle? That was, that was it. And that led to many different types of movement. So do you think it's a useful thing then that parkour has kind of become this very specific and narrow thing? Or do you think the, ment the mentality of parkour would be better served by a practice that, um, that contained more of these broad elements? Yes, I think in principle you want to, give, to keep that mindset of being broad and, and being open to any types, any forms of challenges that resonate for you. And if you feel like, it's like the call for a jump when you break a jump. If you have a call for something that you think will, will benefit you, Go for it. And I think that's the mindset you want to keep. Um, now about being specific with parkour, I don't mind it too much in the sense that parkour is quite, even if you go very parkour specific, it's quite a broad uh, discipline anyway, you know, in, the, in, in term of, of types of, of movement. 
all the running, climbing, jumping, vaulting, all those different types. It's already quite a good discipline. Mm-hmm. But the mindset, I think you should keep an open mind and and yeah, embrace the thing that you think will challenge you in a deep level. And and then and then yeah, you you'll be in a, facing a struggle. And then how do you adapt to that? How do you react to that? I think this is where the real value of the challenge is. And then because at some point, like myself, it's it's difficult for me to find this amount of challenge through parkour because I've done it for so many years. I know myself. I know an obstacle, and the decision happened quite quickly. I know I cannot. I know I can do. I cannot do that. So. It's pretty clear, pretty easy game for me to play. So I'd, I'd be more challenged if I go to um, a yoga class, for example. I have no clue you know, what's going to happen. And uh, I'm going to challenge myself in, in, yeah, in a more honest way. Yeah. It's interesting. It's kind of a, a topic that I think about a fair amount, which is... So we have this idea of, of being a generalist mover, right? And um, you know, one of the problems with being a generalist is, of course, that you, you don't get to be that great at anything. And you have to go and, and continue sucking at lots of things. Every time you want to try something new, you have to go back to being a novice. But I also think there's a flip side to that, which is that if you don't, if you don't go deeply into any one practice, you never really have to. You never have to hoe the hard rows, if that makes sense. You never have to suffer as as deeply and, and yes. to learn the deep lessons. I agree with that. It's like. Uh... The story I heard recently about about the monk saying that you'd rather learn to do one punch ten thousand times than doing ten thousand punches, different punches, one time. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's, it's really great. So that's why even today I'm I'm immersed into parkour again. I just do the things I used to do better. Mm-hmm. Um, just being more in line with me produce a better result, a more refined result. Uh, the way I move, the way I feel. Um, Always used to challenge myself to doing handstands, for example. I'm, I'm, in, I'm into a 30 days uh, handstand challenge. Where I put myself in a different situation. I've never done that before. So I'm still doing the handstand, but to a higher level. I was on my rooftop last week doing a, a handstand in the corner of the, of the building. Real truth in there, if you feel the guy. But uh, so I had to just push a little bit further. So I'm, I'm into that zone now where I'm, I'm being speci- more specific about parkour. Um, so there's still, I, I just basically realized there's still room to improve in those fields where I've been an expert, you know, for many years. There's still room to improve even there, both physically and, and most importantly, mentally. So how, you know, how would you strike the optimal balance between making sure that you're regularly making yourself broad enough? Because it's, you know, the, the, I guess the problem of the specialist is that it gets scary to go do something new because you have to suck again. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then the problem of the generalist is it's scary to make yourself go past the plateaus and the hard things, right? It's like it's easy yeah. to kind of be like, well, I got to the point where this is hard. Now I'm going to go do something else. So I got to this point where I feel like I've got everything that's out of it instead of saying maybe I can go deeper, maybe I can go deeper. So how do you f- strike that balance between broadening and kind of continuing to research in depth? It's a very good question. It's a very good question. And there's, there's ways to hide into both of those approaches, where you can hide it in your comfort zone in both. Of, you could be a very good specialist, but not improving. Or you could be generous and say, yeah, you know, I, I can't be good at everything. So it, it's an easy way to, to hide and say, I can't be good at everything. So that's your excuse kind of thing. So 
Yeah, it's a very good question. I think I'm personally more of a guy who, who behave through intuition and feelings and try to really find what's right for me at the right time. Um, I know you, 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 you. I mean, you, you strike me as a as a man who's quite uh, structured in the head, and you like to go deep and, and put orders into things. So maybe you'll come up with sort of a a method, or you know, how how do you know when when is the best time for you to act as a generalist or as a specialist? Um, personally, as I said, it's, it's very much down to my my intuition, where I am in my life, and what benefits me the most. Um, and right now, I feel like going back to that zone of a specialist, doing the things I've been doing for 20 years, but even better with more benefits, is very interesting. So and it, it makes sense for me now. And I don't know how long I'm going to stay in that zone. Yeah. I just try yoga next and then suck at it. But um, I guess it has to make sense. It's about parkour is also about you know listening to you to you to your inner self really deeply and then try to find out what what feels right. It's part of training. Yes, that's something that's um, particularly. It's a good question. I yeah. don't have the answer. Yeah, that's no, good. Uh, but but we were saying about this idea of of self knowledge, right? That's a that's a theme that's come up a few times in here, and and I wanted to dig more deeply into kind of the philosophy of parkour because it's um, particularly interesting to me right now because I'm I'm really researching philosophy a lot and and trying to to answer the question of why. Uh, I recently wrote an article about uh, kind of. I view parkour basically or, or movement practice, what I do as, uh, as essentially it's, um, it's trying to kind of physically embody the, the dragon slayer archetype, right? Because it's about going on a quest and confronting something that's, that's outside the scope of what you do. That's scary to you. And then you, you gain something from that. And, uh, in, in one of your articles, you're talking about, uh, about Williams Bell, who was one mm -hmm. of your mentors and about, his his realization that the jump isn't about the jump right that that, that the jump answers something within him and it's the only reason that it's important and i you know i'm thinking about this a lot right now i'm 35 and i've got uh, two small children my my uh, i'm going to have a new daughter in a month and wow awesome uh, yeah. <laughs> thank you and so it's like if i jump you know i did say I did a jump recently that was 25 feet up in a tree and it's a nine foot gap and it's a straight drop, right? There's no, there's no branches to catch me if I fall. Mm -hmm. And I think about how long am I in the air? You know, maybe less than a second, mm -hmm. right? Maybe a second. And so what is, why take the risk of your life for one second or one second of movement, right? Was the only reason that I can come up with is because it 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 changes something in me that's worthwhile to become the person that I become through doing that jump. And and so fundamentally, it's like the 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 thing that we're after is the meaning that we gain or the people we become through this process. So the where's the question in that? Sorry. Um, <laughs> so. So it seems to me that that's actually kind of at the heart of what, what the philosophy of parkour was about, is that it's about this process of, of confronting yourself and finding out who you are in a more deep level. And I, yeah, and I wanted to hear you talk a little bit about your experience of, of that, of, of going from a, 
You know, when you were exposed to training with William and he brought that question of, of the meaning of your practice to you, how did that change mm-hmm. your practice and how did you change the way you, that you perceive the discipline? There's a lot of, lot, lot of information in what you just said. Uh, uh, yeah, the why. Um, William asked me this question at the very early stage of my practice. Mm-hmm. And he kept asking me through my practice. Every now and then, every time I meet him, do you know why you do this? And I knew it was important to, un- to answer that question. I didn't have the answer, but I kept practicing. I think I just pointed out the answer to that a month or two months ago. Um, so it, it took me 20 years, basically, to okay. understand why I'm doing what I'm doing. <laughs> Excellent. So it's a constant reflection. And who knows, it might change. I, no, I don't think so. I, I, I think I have a clear understanding of, of who I am and why I'm doing the things I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And it's funny you say that because the, the handstand challenge I, I'm doing, I just posted the, my last post on Instagram. It's just a quick, quick uh, paragraph. But people ask me, why do you risk your life? Why do you go out there, up there, do a handstand? It lasts for 10, 10, 15 seconds. Why do you risk your life like that? People call me disrespectful, crazy. And it's quite the opposite. I have so much value for life that I actually have to bring the best of me to the world. And I have to improve myself to the best I can because I value life so much. And, and I must commit to the task of learning, improving, and growing. And, um, and India just bring the best of me to the world. That, that's really, really important to me. So as you said, even if your jump lasts a second, there's so much um, benefit you get out of it. It doesn't have to be this way for everybody. It's a personal choice. When you, when you, you say that's the parkour philosophy, I can relate to that, mm-hmm. but it's a very personal thing. I, I won't ask everybody to go take the same risk I'm, I'm, I'm taking. And also my why or your why is yours, you know. Um, I think parkour, one of the beauty of parkour is that it, it has a lot of options available for people. For, 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 for some people, it's just a sport, you know. I just walk out and I do parkour. Yeah. For some people, it's, it's an art form. This is a way to express myself, connect with my creativity. This is my self-expression through movement. For some people, you know, it's more than that. There's an, a spiritual element to it about, about the why and, and who, who, who you are. What is your purpose? What's the meaning of your life? And then you get some answers through, through parkour practice. But you, you have all those different um, ava- available options on the table, but uh, the why has to be personal. It's not because, you know, we, we speak about that and we can relate to it, that the why of everybody has to be, okay, I do parkour so I can, you know, improve myself, have a better life. Or I think it's a very available option. It doesn't have to be this option for everybody. Yeah, do you think that there's a, it seems to me that there's, there, there's, the, there's the thing that's individual about everybody, right? Everybody has, has a way of connecting to whatever they do that, that's specific to them because of their own personality, their own history. But then there's the things that are common across everybody, right? And I'm really interested in those things that like you can say, this seems to be a thing that we're seeing over and over again. So uh, like, you know, the... You know, when I hear Williams talk about, uh, or in the book, in, in your in, uh, your article, he talks about this idea of like, I do, I do it because it, it's it's meaningful, training for meaning. And then I read philosophy and it's like, well, how do you live a more meaningful life? Or I, I listen to, you know, one of my favorite quotes is a mountaineering quote. And it's something like, it's not what the man does to the mountain, it's what the mountain does to the man. Mm-hmm. So it's like you see that theme repeatedly. And of course, there's there's variability, but it also seems like to me there's there's something that 
that is general, right? That if we pay attention to it, you know, the question I have is, it seems to me that if you choose to do it, it's meaningful to you. So then you ask the question, why is it meaningful to me? Yeah. Yeah, and it's an important question. If you don't answer that question, you 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 move forward forward without a purpose, without a meaning in the dark. So you keep moving forward. That's good. Maybe and keep moving forward because maybe one day you'll you'll hit the answer. But it's so much more yeah, meaningful and, and and it makes sense. You know, once once you know why you're doing things, everything is just boom, it's just like you switch on the lights. Yeah. It makes sense, and, and then every action then is 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 done with more intention. There's more intent in your action, more clarity, and then as a result, there's there's yes, better results for you and, and the people around you. Yeah. Um, so the why is very important, and, and as I said, William asked me this question over and over again, and I knew it was important. And just now, just like two 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 months ago, I just hit the bottom of it. Okay. Yeah. So can you can you describe your why? Like uh, one more time, or like as precisely as possible. Yes, that that's 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 where I am. I try to put in a sentence, and I'm not sure about the sentence. But okay, let, let's let's say it as it is right now. But the, you'll get the idea. I'm not sure about the wording, but the idea is, is for me to. I'm here to learn, improve, and grow, so I can bring the best out of me to the world and to serve and help others in some ways. Beautiful. Okay. Awesome. That's a good. Why. Yeah. Um, a mission statement. Yeah. So here's another question that, that kind of just pops in my head, and but I think it's kind of a, it's it's meaningful to me. Have you ever found that your your why, the thing you were aimed at in your practice, wasn't aligned with what you actually wanted? Right? Like you didn't you you set the goal, you 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 decided on a why, but it wasn't the right why, and then you feel that tension in your practice. Have you have you ever been in that place? Tension in my practice, yes. Yes, you, you, you go off track. And again, it's just, why do you go off track? <clears throat> to get slapped and learn another lesson. And as I said, if you, yeah, if you don't know your why, then you move, you move forward in the dark. And then, and then you're still exploring and you're still researching, so you do mistakes on the way. And then you, you, you get out of track, you get out of alignment, and you get slapped in the face and you come back. And it took me 20 years. Uh, some people, you know, it could take longer or shorter. Um, it's a journey. So, yeah, there's a, for just in my own practice, like I, there's this, um, this tension that I, between trying to define really clearly what I'm trying to do and then also recognizing that maybe the thing that I can define will never encompass the thing that I'm trying to define, right? So that you, like, uh, about like what, five years ago, I got really into like, I wanted to do parkour competitions and I wanted to like, uh, like lift a certain amount of weight and do all these specific skills. And, and I kept running into the problem that like, I really just wanted to be in the trees instead of in the gym working on the specific skill or like the next competition was going to be a competition in the gym, but I hated training in the gym. I wanted to be outside. Um, and so it was like the, the why that I had set out for myself was not the, was not the, the, the motivation that was actually inside me. And I, I just didn't know it yet. I didn't understand yeah. who, who I really was. It wasn't, it wasn't aligned. Yeah. So, so do you have any advice for young practitioners on, on trying to find that alignment between the why that they, the why that they can think up and the why that's actually inside? 
Yeah, the, well, the main one is the one that inside, the one that comes from, 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 from your inner, inner light and your soul really deep down. And then that's, that's a very personal journey and it's a, it's, a lonely, it's a lonely process, you know. You have to be very honest with yourself. You have to look at yourself as a whole, your dark side, your good side. Try to understand who you are. Um, you have a lot of techniques for that. Um, but it's a lonely process. It's a honest process. And uh, it, it can take time. But I wouldn't be bothered too much in the sense that it's okay to do mistakes. It's okay to try things out. It's okay to be off track. Um, it's a learning process. Um, and it's a lonely process. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's what I can say. Um, I guess it's awareness as well, you know. Uh, try to really observe, are your actions in line with who you are? Does it feel right? Does it feel good? It's always an indication, you know, if it feels right, it feels good, you usually feel it. You have a different energy when you, you feel good about things. So, uh, it's a very simple thing. I think awareness, awareness about, about the things you're doing, is it making me feel better? Is it making me feel good? And, and if it does, you're probably on the right track. Uh, yeah. It's just something you know. As you said, you were training for competition, but deep down, I, don't ha I hate being in the gym. <laughs> yeah? So, yeah. You have all those answers. So I guess, you know, paying attention, pose yourself. Is it right? Does it feel right? Is, is it 100% clear? Yes or no? And then, then I think awareness, again, it's a process, it's a journey, and it's a lonely process. I think you have also to be, as I said, honest in that process. Um, Back to honesty, right? Yeah. Parkour is a place where if you don't tell the truth, you, you may rip your knee it's in half. <laughs> yes, yeah. It will hit you back. One way or the other. Actually, that was something I wanted to dig into because people look at these these jumps that that we do and they think, man, that that's so dangerous, that's so crazy. But it feels like to me that that when you when you know that you can do the jump, it's not that dangerous. <laughs> like it's a it's about cultivating the right. It's about recognizing the right feeling. Mm. That uh. That when you when you're not in that place of alignment, when you're not in that place when when you're really listening to your deepest self, that's when you get hurt. And, yes, and I, exactly. I, I, and when you're on the line, it is dangerous. So for me, what's dangerous is you having some dreams, and instead of listening to that, you're in an office from eight to six p.m. doing the things you don't like to do. That's very dangerous. More than the jump I'm doing because I'm aligned. Yeah, and I'm going to beat it. That. Yeah. And when we when we do the jumps for the wrong reason. That, yeah. you know, I was talking to, uh, to, to Dylan Baker about that. Do you know Dylan Baker? Yes, I know the man, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He was talking about like, uh, so I have a couple really kind of big, scary jump goals, and he's been helping me with my mental game and prepping for these goals. And one thing he said was about it's like, you, you really have to not do the jump for anybody else. You really have to not do the jump for the camera when your life is on the line. It's like it really has to be for you. And if you go in and you're like, you're pressured about letting other people down. You're pressured about this. You're pressured about that. It's like, that's when you get, you know, Dylan came very close to dying uh, because he wanted to do a jump, a vault really. And, and he went up there to prepare for it. And then he was there with his friends and he kind of didn't want to, to take too much of their time. He didn't want to, he didn't want to, uh, to let them down. And so instead of listening to himself, he was listening to all this stuff around him. And, yeah. and he, uh, you know, he, his hand slipped out on a Kong, like 300 feet off the ground, <laughs> caught himself by the tips of his fingers. 
Wow. So, I, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that was kind of your experience when you tore your knee up as well, wasn't it? Yes, very much so. Again, a setup that I wasn't used to on a filming on a film filming set with a lot of people, cameras around. You have this pressure. You know, when you train on your own, you you, you do things at your own rhythm. You want to do the jump fine. You don't want to do the jump fine. You you do things when you want to, and you you manage your time and your expectations and the pressure at your own pace and, and, and rhythm. On set, I was young and I I, I I felt the pressure. I felt like I have to deliver and I had to perform. And even though I had, you know, my body gave me signals already. It, it, you have to stop, you're in pain now. You did the jump a few times, you were happy with that. But I didn't listen, so you didn't listen and then uh, you, you get slapped instantly. Uh, lesson learned. I hope Dylan learned his lesson as well, which, uh, I hope you did, yeah. I think so, yeah. So, <clears throat> this is, yeah, it's... And, you know, if you don't listen, life throw ping pong balls first, and then they throw, life throw the, the bowling balls right next after, if you don't listen, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Okay, so, um, once again, we had a little technical difficulty, and now it's a week later, and we've got Stefan back. Um, so the last question that we had talked about was... Um, the danger that you face when you're um, not aligned internally with the jump that you're trying to do, when you're letting external pressures kind of guide you into doing something that you're not actually ready for. And this really brings up one of the most important topics in parkour, which is the topic of the mental game. So parkour is a physical act in many ways, but but what allows it is this is this mental act. And when Stefan came here uh, two years ago and taught a seminar, he had a really beautiful description of and a process for training the ability to break a jump. So I wanted to uh, ask you, Stefan, to explain for the audience um, how you go about breaking a jump. Mm -hmm. And then we can go actually go in depth into some of the pieces of how we can do that better. Yeah. Um, Touching quickly before I go more in depth with the different steps of breaking a jumps. Before there's the act, um, I see even before that there's an, personally speaking anyway, doesn't apply to everybody. There's a spiritual element to it, there's a mental element to it, and then there's an action, physical element to it. But for me, that part just comes last. And it should be, and this is how you understand if you're in line with, your, with yourself, where you are, it comes before the act, so that's important to understand the order of things, for me anyway. Because um, breaking the jump is already in quite advanced in the process. It's, it's in the it's in the action bit, which is the last part. If you haven't answered your motivation mentally, spiritually, then you might be out of line, and then the, the breaking the jump process won't be that useful at, yeah. that, st at that stage. Um, so yeah, well, while you know delivering the parkour origins course with you guys, I try to encourage you guys to reflect on what was happening when you break a jump, and identify those six different steps that are very, you know, important and part of the process. So then you can know where you are and what's the missing step, and then you can work on it and also understand what's missing and also give you tool so how to go to the next step. Um, so there was basically six steps, and the first step is 
what I call the call for the jump. It's something that you connect with in the first place. You, you have this call for doing an action and that resonates within you. Uh, and that's for me, that's the trigger of, of, of the rest of it. Uh, so you have the call of the jump. And then what happens once you have this call from afar, then you get closer to that jump. And then you get familiar with that jump. You start to assess distances, takeoff, landings, material, uh, surfaces. And then you get really familiar. You have a better feel of, of the actual task. Um, then what comes next when you have a real feeling of it, then usually fears comes in uh, because it gets real. And it gets more, it gets, it gets real. So you have fear that comes in and disrupt the mind. Uh, then you have to, the four steps, once the fear is here with you, you find a way to overcome the fear. So it goes through what I call visual, visualization process. You have different ways to do it, whether you measure the jump, whether you, um, you count the steps or you do similar smaller jumps on the side to get you know, the feel of it and get confidence, you build confidence. Um, I do a lot personally, a lot of visualization where I really see the jump. I see myself doing it. I feel how it, how it is. I, I, I see very detailed ways of, of, of landing, absorbing the landing, uh, takeoff. Um, so I do a lot of visualization, very detailed visualization. So that's the four steps after once the fear is, is there, you have some sort of a process where you find a way to face the fear and unlock it, overcome it. Um, then the fifth step after that is decision making. You make a strong decision. You don't make the decision while you are in the air. It's too late. You make the decision way before. For running jumps, I always tell people, as soon as you do the first step, you're already engaged. You're committed. There's no way back. If you change the mind on the third, second step, you're screwed. You want to make a strong, stable decision. Even, yeah, just on the first step, you're already there. And after your decision-making, there's the action. That's the um, final step I see to the process. And if you add uh, a seventh step, then that could be the reward and, and the benefits uh, from, from the process. So I think that's interesting because um, when I give that, when I, when I talk about that, the example I like to give is the backflip, right? It's the classic example of people deciding in the middle of a skill that they, that they, they, that they made the wrong decision. And it never goes yeah. well, right? You go halfway through yeah. a backflip and you change your mind, you always land on your head. Exactly. It happened to me as well. Yeah. So um, so it's a great uh, it's a great breakdown of 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 how how you accomplish the jump. And it's interesting to me, and I mentioned this um, in our last conversation, but it, it, it tailors in perfectly to a concept that comes out of uh, the, the military, which is the UDA loop, which is observe, orient, decide, and act. And that's something that we see across um, kind of any, any physical task and really in life, right? In life, you're constantly facing new circumstances. You're having to, you know, observe, okay, something's changed orient to it. This is, this is how it's changed and, and make a decision. Um, and then you have to act on it. Uh, whether that's like, you know, observe, there's a punch coming on my face, orient, someone's trying to punch me, decide I'm going to duck, you know, <laughs> and then act duck. Right. So that takes time in this, and the, and the ability to, that we have to refine that process and to really get strong at it, I think is one of the most profound aspects of parkour. Um, I think that you don't just get messed up during a, uh, a, a big running jump. Um, 
because you you didn't assess it properly or you didn't process your fear properly or because you you backed out of your decision. That happens if you're starting a business. That happens if you're in a relationship. That happens all the time. That same fundamental yeah. process is something that, that is so important across all of your life. So I, I was curious to have you kind of talk about 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 how you what you've experienced with cultivating that process in in your movement practice and then to what degree it has transferred or do you have strategies to transfer it to life in general uh yes 100 percent. for me it's, it's, it's again the more, more and more it always has been but more and more now uh parkour is a physical it's physical practice obviously with a lot of tools for me to be a better version of myself in my everyday life Love relationship, work relationship, uh, me and the company. Um, because as you say, we do face all those different uh, situations, facing the same, the exact same process. There's a call, there's an inspiration, you want to go in some, in, in some direction, you don't know what it is, it's scary, it's challenging, how do you handle that? How do you do your decision making uh, and then act, you know? Uh, so 100% for me, it's really about how does your practice help you in your in your life. You know, how does this translate in your everyday life? We're here to live, we're not here to jump. Um, plain and simple. Um, and, and, and a good life, hopefully, meaningful life. So it's really, really important for me to keep the focus always on, is my practice helping me to get a better life? Yes, good, no, what, what, what is helping me then? And, and I should you know, aim for that. And that's why also sometimes I, I tell people, very, very stubborn people. We're, we're super stubborn in parkour. I do parkour forever, all my life. Yeah, sure. Is it helping you? Does it make sense? There's part of your life where maybe it won't help you. Maybe playing golf will help you, you know, in some ways. More, more, than, more than parkour. And in which case, play golf. Yeah. Don't do parkour. You'll come back to parkour later. But uh, yeah, it's really about uh, how, how does it apply to your life and how is it serving your life to help you, you know, having a better life, happier life. Yeah. Cool. So, um, could you just go a little bit more in depth on either observations that you've had of how it has helped you or, mm -hmm. um, or kind of strategies that we can use so that the strength that we develop in parkour actually translate? Because I think a lot of times it's assumed that, you know, if you can jump, then you can ask a girl out. Um, if you can jump, then, you know, maybe you can, you can be committed to the process of starting a business. And I think that there's a certain deg uh, amount degree of transfer that's sort of automatic, but uh, it's easy to get kind of trapped because you, you fall in love with the thing that you feel like is making you strong and you're not actually paying attention to whether it's making you strong in the rest of your life. And you're not maybe mm -hmm. taking the actions to make that, to make that connection. It's like you have to go in with an intention to actually use it in that way to gain those benefits is what I've observed. So I'm just curious about your own experience with that. Well, it's a lot of awareness and, you know, paying attention, you know, is it serving your life? Yes or no. And it's a constant question, you're questioning in the background of your head and being very honest in that sense. And it's constant observation. Um, and, and once you have this observation, you're aware, then you can consciously practice um, those techniques, you know, and, and be aware, okay, this is happening now. Do I want to do this in life? Yes. It's scary, yes, and then you know, gather all those information, and then and then you know, process all that and act, and then you become so you go from consciously competent to unconsciously competent at some point if you keep practicing that. Um, 
I think through the habits of, of practicing that in parkour, in a physical, you know, um, context, um, then it, it builds a lot of confidence in many, many levels. I'm good at, at kind of trusting my intuition now. And uh, I live my life by intuition. And then how does it feel? Does it feel right? And then I, I try to develop, I develop my intuition a lot through parkour. The call of a jump, it's talking to me, it resonated me, and I engage with that. And there's an idea, there's a thought, and then there's the reality. And I think the process of also breaking a jump is, is how you how you match your, your idea. Oh, I can do this jump. I can do, like for the handstand challenge I was doing last month, I can do the handstand on top of that building. That's a thought. Now, does it match the reality? And then the more you connect between your thoughts, your vision, and the actual reality, then it builds it kind of confidence that you you know you can do, and you actually you do it. So there's this kind of strong connection because between an idea and, and your reality. And that builds the confidence and, and uh, an ability to trust your intuition. Uh, and then you become consciously competent in that, and you can then apply that to different areas of your life. You told me a funny story uh, when you came to visit about uh, applying your your confidence in breaking jumps when you visited Brazil with uh, with Dan and um, and Blaine, I believe. <laughs> you remember the story? Yeah. You want to share that yes. with the audience? Yeah, for sure. Um, <laughs> I, I was single back then, just just to be clear. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I was uh, exactly that. So I went through a difficult breakup back then, and I lost a lot of confidence. I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that. You get dumped, heartbroken. You lose confidence, and so Blaine and Dan, always very you know um, helpful friends, decided to put me on a challenge. And the challenge was that I had to talk to random girls in the street, restaurants, shopping malls, wherever you name it. And I was set on challenges where I had to ask names, um, um, names of relatives, uh, where she lived, uh, what she's doing, uh, does she like her life. Different different questions like that to complete strangers, and I had to interact with most of them beautiful girls. That they were very picky with the girls, obviously. Um, and then I had to engage you know, with those conversations. So obviously I was super super scared. Um, you know, at the beginning, and then after a few days of practice, and then you you know you break that fear, you get familiar with that feeling. And then you know you realize it's not that bad actually. And in, in the, I, I learned a lot from that. Actually, most of the girls were very flattered at the end of the day uh, because I was genuinely interested and and, 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 and kind, and uh, people respond well to that, you know. Yeah. So it taught me a lot, and uh, it was a great, great experience. And that was a very practical, I guess, exercise on how you you experience a similar process um, in a real life, talking to a girl. Do you think that the courage that you developed in parkour helped you the first time you had to try that task? Yes, again, through, I know I had the will somewhere, somewhere. You know, I know that in Parkour, if I want something, I get it. Yeah. And again, the idea of, you know, I want it, I get it. And you connect with that more and more again and again and again. I want it, I get it. Simple as that, I want it, I get it. And uh, so I, 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 I had confidence in that. And then it's a matter of, of how do you transfer that ability into something else. But I, I knew I had this will in me, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I find that when I like, if I go to train uh, dance or some other movement art, um, I'm, I'm still a novice. You know, my feet are still confused. I'm I'm still awkward, but I have two things going for me that some other novice doesn't have. One, I have confidence that I've been through some sort of similar physical process, and that mm -hmm. I know that I can I can get there. And two, mm -hmm. I feel like I have 
I have a process in my brain of how I gain skill and I gain it faster. So it's like, it's not like I'm good at, at tricking the first time I try it because I've done parkour. It's more like I know how to start getting better. Um, yeah. And you have a belief there. You believe in that very strongly. And yeah. I think that's, that's a very, very powerful thing to have. Yeah. The belief. Awesome. So this is, uh, I wanted, I wanted to tell the story, but I want to go back to the for a second to the idea of intuition, because I think this is a really interesting area for me because I'm, I'm a hyper analytical person in, in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And I've been very interested in rationalism and, and debate and argument and, and trying to, you know, science and, and I've applied that really intensely into how I teach people, for instance. And I've, mm -hmm. I've learned over the years that, um, that it's incomplete, that, uh, it's useful. It's very useful to have that ability to understand all these, uh, highly analytical topics and be able to break things down into pieces, but it, it doesn't, it doesn't connect or it doesn't work unless it's, uh, intuitive. And one of the things that you learn through studying the analytical aspects of science is that the cognitive mind, the mind that, that reasons is actually a relatively small portion of your mind and that most of what you experience is subcognitive and that intuition in, is in many ways, it's the subcognitive mind communicating with the cognitive mind. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so I was talking to uh, somebody else in a podcast recently about this idea that, that, that parkour actually in movement practice, they actually help us understand the value and power of intuition more effectively because they help us tune into signals that we, that, that um, they help us tune into our bodies. And I, and I was curious to, for to hear more about your experience of how you've built your power of intuition, how you've noticed that it's powerful, uh, mm. through your movement practice. Yeah. Just quickly to get back on something you just said, I think parkour, helps you develop your intuition. Why? Because you expose yourself to the unknown and you analyze after. The, analy the analysis comes after, once yeah. the action is done and you can get all those data. Before that, it's just you facing the unknown and this is where you have to dig deep down, you know. Um, so intuition, I don't know, I, I, we, we obviously all wired differently and as you said, you have a tendency naturally to analyze things and, and, and I can see that very clearly, the way you talk, the way you write, the way you teach, yeah. the way you present. Yeah. Um, and as you, know, as you said, it's necessary, it's, 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 there's, no, um, there's no good or right, it's just, it's just who you are naturally, you know, wired. And I'm more, always have been since a very, very young age, a more like intuitive person. Um, connecting with my heart, my light, uh, feeling things. Um, even now, how I run my company, I'm so grateful to have a partner who's very rational, very practical, and who does the, the things necessary for the company. My, my, my brain is like, I feel we should do this now with the, the other classes. There's something missing. We, we have to, to improve the content and then bring something more. It's, it's always about feeling. My, my vision in the company, that's what I do, is just I bring ideas and visions on where to go, and we should go there. It sounds right. It's, it's always I've been very natural, and I guess parkour just really developed and, and reinforced that uh, in me. And I guess that's why I love parkour um, in, in some ways. But um, facing the unknown, you know, having this, this the call for the jump, I think it's a very, very important step. The first step, the call for the jump, because it's it's very personal. It, it, it touches on something that you have deep down. What is the call for a jump? Why do we have a call for a jump? And now why would I have a different call for, for a different jump? 
And, and why the call for the gym in the first place? Why do you need to go there and be curious about that challenge? This is you. You know, this is this is your soul, your light. Why is there something in you that that asks you to go there and get curious? What what kind of answers are you are, are you looking for? I think the first step is very very interesting. This is where you connect with your depths, you know, and then and then there's a there's a relation with your intuition over there. Yeah, that's actually a really interesting observation. It's uh, something I've been thinking about from some of the philosophical thinkers that 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 I've been paying attention to is this idea of. Where do your desires arise from? Where does your attention arise from? So you, you, you see something and you, and you decide, you, you see something. Why did you see it? Yeah, <laughs> right? are you curious? Because you didn't decide to see it. It, it presented itself to you. It said, here mm-hmm. I am. And, and that maybe says something about the, you could think of it as saying something about the you that's trying to become something. Aha, uh-huh. here we go. Right. Yeah, it's like the, I agree. The Phoenix Principle—it's the the thing that's trying to 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 be reborn—is is is showing you a path. Yeah, I agree. And uh, and it's cool because like we talked about earlier with this idea of like you you need to stress test yourself. You need to have skin in the game in order to really learn something. It's like you go through that intuitive process in parkour, and. Um, it works or you get burned and then you then you've you've actually fed that intuitive system some information so it it tells you it tells you the truth the next time yeah it gets you and you can rely on that ability more and more that's why i said and more and more in my life i I use that intuition skill ability in in many areas relationship do i want to walk do i want to walk with that person no something wrong about it Mm -hmm. everything on paper is good something wrong about it and i don't go there yeah. And uh, and the good thing again is my partner, he respects that because he, he also learned that I have an ability there and he respects that and then that helps so the company. That's awesome. Cool. So let's uh back up for a second to the elements of the call, uh the elements of the of breaking the jump, because I think this is this is something that can really be broken down into a lot of pieces. And um I asked you last time the conversation that that, that didn't get recorded. One of the problems for somebody who's entering this world is actually finding any jumps that call to them at all. So now we have another chance to kind of like break that down. How, what, how would you, how would you take someone who, who has no sort of intuitive sense of play really anymore, who, who's never mm-hmm. moved it and they, they see this stuff on, on YouTube, but they don't, but it's too, it's way outside of their league. So now they're having to see the things that, that are available to them. What are, what are some tips you would give people to, to start that process, to start finding the jumps that, that are an appropriate call for them? Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, a good question. Uh, it's, it's, it seems hard for beginners because they don't have the vision um, and they don't see the possibilities. As a matter of fact, I believe for beginners, there's, there's way more possibilities for them to grow um, because everything is a challenge pretty much when you begin. Um, so I would recommend to... Don't have too high ambitions and, and stay, you know, as you said, there's a lot of things outside of your league. And it's a matter of really recollecting and, and, and keep it very, very, very simple. And to listen. Listen to you. And don't, don't, don't put a focus on what you see on YouTube or what your friend is doing in the class. He's better. He's been there for a year or whatever. Listen to yourself. What is challenging you? And, and, and if you keep it simple, very, very simple, one step at a time, keep, keep. can I do this? Can I do this with, with that kind of reflection? Can I do this? 
And even if it sounds ridiculous, I mean, can I go over that bench in front of me? Let's go over it. Okay, good. That's starting point. That was kind of easy. Can I do it now uh, using only one hand? Can I do, can you do it now uh, closing my eyes? Uh, can I do it a bit faster? Can I do it only using two steps this time? And, and you know, but I really encourage to keep it very simple and, and, and have a starting point. And then you play with it and you improve it and you, you tune it a little bit. Um, and then the more you do that, the more you'll develop that ability to see things, to see opportunities, to see possibilities. And you, you develop that vision, the part, what I call the powerful vision. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, you should, you should keep it simple, have a starting point and listen to yourself. You, you'll have the answers within. Can I do this? Can I, what, what you know, inspires you? Uh, and you'll have something if you're just not too ambitious. Cool. Don't be too ambitious and go and try. Um, so the second part is the assessing the jump. And this is, I think, a really interesting area to dig deeper into because one of my observations about children and about novices is that they tend, um, they often don't fail because they overestimate their own abilities. They fail because they underestimate the complexity of the environment, right? Mm -hmm. If you put someone in front of a simple jump, right? Everything is as, as, as clean as possible. There's very little danger. And you ask them, you know, how far they can jump. Most novices will, will think that they can jump actually not as far as they can. And it's mm -hmm. the same thing with little kids. Like if they think they can jump from one place to another, they definitely can. But where, where they fail is that they are less able to assess what's potentially dangerous. They don't see the drop behind it. They don't see um, that it's slippery. They don't see that the branch is rotten. So I was wondering if you have any good kind of basic breakdowns of the things that people should pay attention to when they get into this so that they know how to assess a jump effectively so they can keep themselves safe. Mm. Uh, one of the basic, basic principles I have is checking your takeoff and landings. It's, it's very, very basic, but also very uh, efficient. Takeoff and landings. Where do you take off? Where do you land? And check every every single part of it. Is it safe? Is it stable? Is it slippery? Uh, is it going to break? Where do I land? How do I land? Uh, where do I position my feet, my arms, my fingers? Uh, is it going to break? So take off and landing, very in detail, thorough thorough uh, checkup. And the rest of it is just experience and knowledge. And you get knowledge through experience and <clears throat> and practice. Um, the more you practice parkour in different terrain, then you gather data information about mud, for you in your case, mud trees, type of trees. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm sure you have a lot of knowledge now, you know, and an understanding about different types of trees, the weather, the temperature, how does it affect um, your environment? And same, same in, in the city as well, you know, your different painting, different coating, different material, different surfaces, different heights, um, different metals, uh, rubber, and then you, you gather all of that, and it's just through practice and experience. And then this, you can't, you can't really buy it to a shop. You just have to do it, and then it comes uh, with, with time and experience and practice. Yeah, so stay low until you have a good map of all the different types of terrain that you're, that you're trying to move over. Mm. Uh, that's a good, good heuristic. It's just uh, don't jump at height until you know pretty well the types of things that you're going to be jumping on. Exactly. Gather the, inf the information, get the experience, and then naturally, you know, you'll be the call for your jump will be a little bit more challenging and more challenging. And, yeah. 
it progressed like that. Cool. So um, that brings us to the the fear, processing the fear. So unfortunately, we had a really interesting conversation about this that they got deleted. So we're going to try to to talk about some of the same subjects because I think it's really. Um, I actually think that this may be the most profound aspect of the practice of parkour, that it's a place, it's maybe the most profound laboratory that we have to confront fear and that fear is actually uh, an incredibly powerful and meaningful thing in our lives, but we have to develop the right relationship with it. Yes. So can you take us a little bit through your process right now as far as, as you're feeling the fear, how do you, how do you manage that? Um, I manage it now compared to before with more calm and I'm more like serene you know, with more serenity um, mm-hmm. that's how I want to handle fear now um, regular exposure gradual exposure to fear that's what I always recommend um, obviously what was scary to you last year is probably not as scary to you right now uh, because you practice and then you yeah, you just improved. Um, I recently decided to go through a 30 days handstand challenge because I wanted to face my fear on a daily basis. And uh, I wanted to put myself in a position every day where I had to find a challenging handstand, most of the time at height, facing a drop, um, and really engaging with that, that uh, challenge and, and, and facing my fear every day. So I did that. Um, and uh, to grow, to learn, um, and um, mm, losing my train of thought. Um, What's your process for for dealing with fear? The process when I deal with the fear. Yeah, that was the question. I think my, my determination to, 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 to do what I want to do leaves no room for fear anymore. You know, there, there's, a, there's an element of fear. First of all, when I say, oh, I want to do a handstand there on the top of that building. Scary. But then the process of me connecting with the fact that I want to do it, I know I can do it, and I will do it, it's become so amplified and so big, there's no more room for, for fear. This, this is the bubble. And, and, and the, my desire to do what I want to do takes over everything. There's no more room for fear. And I, I want to do it. I know I can do it. And I will do it. So I focus on that. I'm completely immersed in that. And that's why I say it's a very calm and determined, you know, process decision. Um, I, haven't, I haven't experienced fear while doing any of those handstands. The, the fear was just during, during the call. Oh, that's there. There's a big drop. If you fall, you die. If you're aware, yes, I'm aware. I know it. I want to do it, and I'm going to do it. Plain and simple. And this was so powerful. There's no room for fear anymore. So it was very, very calm and determined um, process. And so I, that was really cool. Really enjoyed it. Yeah. So if we think about fear on a neurological level, right? There's, um, there's kind of Here's the analysis. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's say there's three. The way I've been thinking about it is there's three enemies of fear. There's three things that 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 get that make it hard for fear to enter. 
and and one of them is calmness right calmness is sort of uh you you experience when you experience fear basically it increases your the arousal level in your sympathetic nervous system. So we calming is bringing yourself down in the sympathetic nervous system. And I see this when, when athletes, um, if you watch most experienced parkour athletes, when they're preparing for a jump, they will, um, they'll, they'll step back to where they're going to jump from and they'll breathe out a couple of times. They'll exhale. Okay. And that breathe out, um, that's actually down regulating for your nervous system. We, we calm down as the breath leaves our body. And so having an extended exhale that calms us down. You also see people shake themselves out. It's another thing. You're shaking tension out of your body. Yeah. Uh, before every handstand, I would, I would do a bit of meditation. So sit yeah. down, just stay in the mind, breathe, and then shake, shake, shake the body. Exactly that. Yeah. And then most, most parkour practitioners have a ritual, right? Like for me, and this is pretty common, I spit on my hands rub my hands together, and then I rub the bottoms of my feet. <laughs> it's, it's really amusing because I do that when I'm going to do a flip. And, uh, you know, my hands aren't going to do anything. Yeah. But, but you've done it so many times that it, it, it becomes a thing that, that, that just helps set your nervous system. It's a routine. Uh, so that's, those are kind of some of the things that I do. And I was curious um, if you recognize that and if you can kind of, if there's any specifics to the way that you go through that process. Um, yeah, calm, calm, more and more, you know, <clears throat> and I say that the young people to my team, actually, the other day we had a discussion about adrenaline and how it, it was a fuel for me when I was younger and how it is still a fuel for a lot of the young practitioners and it's not a healthy uh, source of energy, adrenaline. Um, so I'd rather, you know, try to get rid of that and, and, and make a decision that's more stable, more calm, um, at peace, um, yeah, it's, it's way healthier. Um, so yeah, and again, I lost my train of thought. My God, what was the, the the question again? I get lost easily. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, it was specifically about you know going the, the little ritual and and the down regulation <laughs> yeah. of the nervous system. Is there anything specifically about the way that you go about that? Breathing. Yeah, breathing is one is one for me. Breathing helps me. That's my morning practice every day. It just brings me to the here and now. You know. Um, and when I'm, again, when you're here now, there's no room for fear. Fear is in the past or is in the future. It's not now. Now is now. And now. <laughs> and now again. <laughs> so um, when you practice that, then, then it really uh, it's a powerful thing. So I bring myself to here now through breathing. And uh, yeah, that, that's my, one of my tricks. Shaking the body as well. Um, but deep breath here now. Do you do, uh, do anything specifically with your breath? Uh, so I learned from uh, Tibetan monks in London many years ago. I practiced this. It's called Shine meditation in Tibet I practice. And uh, it's basically focusing on your breathing. So you're breathing uh, from your nose, in and out from your nose. You stick your tongue up and you gaze in front of you. Uh, and you just basically focus and bring your awareness onto your breathing. You don't force the breathing. You just let it happen naturally. Any thoughts comes in, you just let them come and go. You don't hang, you don't cling to your thought, you don't engage with that thought. Just come back gently to your breathing and you bring the awareness to your breathing over and over again and be gentle with yourself. You know, if you engage with your thought, it's okay. Or you observe it, come back to your breathing. Um, and then this is thing that you train and practice and then you increase the time you can keep the mind still where you don't engage with the thought. You go from five seconds to 10 seconds to a minute, to 20 minutes still. And you stay in the present moment without uh, any distraction. 
that that's something I practice every day, morning in the morning. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Uh, I, I've I've picked up a, a meditation practice in the last few years, and I think a lot of um, a lot of movement practitioners are are, are noticing that, that that it's helpful. And it's interesting because in a lot of ways these things are are deeply connected. Um, you know, if you look at traditional martial arts practices, there's always a mind practice that goes along with the physical practice, or there's always a physical practice that goes along with the mind practice. These things kind of need to, to live together. So it's cool to hear that you're doing that as well. Um, and you've noticed that, that that helps achieve the calm state when you're jumping. Yes. hundred percent. Awesome. So, okay. So going back to, um, well, you talked about adrenaline and the role of adrenaline, and I, I, I'm very interested in that because I guess I still feel like there is a role for that at, at certain times for, to overcome certain jumps when you need a little extra force. And you've talked about um, the idea of, you know, training with David was was learning like the dark side, or, um, and then training with Williams was like the light side because there was this uh, this coming from a place of peace versus coming from a, a place of, of anger. Um, again, going back to the neurology, anger in some sense is an emotion that exists to help us overcome fear. You know, if if uh, if you see a predator and it's and you have to fight your way out, it's like anger is the thing that kicks on and allows you to to get out of that situation without being overcome by your fear. Mm-hmm. So I've I've been playing with uh, how to find this little edge just for the specific types of jumps, um, because. If I'm too, if I, if I tap into that anger too much, it's very costly. Like it, it burns you out. You know, you turn into Emperor Palpatine after you too, too many, uh, too many, too much fear, right? <laughs> uh, or too much anger. And I, I also see this so often in, in young parkour athletes who, who haven't quite figured out their mental game yet. They're really relying on like, they're yelling at each other. They're yelling at themselves. And, and when they jump with that energy, they they may make the jump, but they always land stiff. They have terrible form. And, and also, how much of it do you remember when you? I know I've, I've been doing it many times. When you jump with that anger, adrenaline, how much of it do you remember? It's just like a dream. It happened like a flash. You did it, yes. But how much of it did you process and remember and benefit? No, not that much. Not as much as you understand and you're calm and you're. You know, yeah, that's interesting. That's that was a. Um... A metric that uh, Tyson and I used. Uh, Tyson was my my co-founder with Parkour Visions, as you know. Um, but uh, we used to to me- like if we did a jump, then the next question was, "Did you remember the jump? Mm-hmm. And how well did you remember the jump? Could you actually like go through the moments and feel it out? Because when you were operating from too much fear, um, within too much fear, or too much anger." Um, it's like you black out during the jump. It just goes exactly. away. Exactly. Yeah, you just switch it off and you black out. That's exactly that. And uh, that's a it's a terrible place to uh, to to operate from as far as having good control. And that's you know one thing. Plus, it's dangerous. On top of that, it's dangerous. It can be li- really lead to in- to injury. Uh, most of the time, it goes well, but uh, it's you you go blindfully there, and then uh, it, it's it comes with danger. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I, I told you this is the last time, but um, I was I was working specifically on one jump this year, that, uh, which I showed you the last time we were here. But you know, it's uh, it's about nine feet long by four feet high, from a tree branch to another tree branch, and uh, you know, I kept bouncing off of it, and I had kind of worked myself through most of the fear of it, but I just couldn't quite summon the 
the energy to push as hard as I needed to. And that was when I, I tapped into that. Just, I think of it like a dragon slayer energy. It's like, um, when you face a problem, there's, there's, there's a, a part of you that responds by wanting to kill the problem, to destroy the problem. And there's part of you that like wants to tame the problem. And, and you want to have the right balance between those. That's what it feels like. And this one, it called for that. But I also, I only was able to tap into that because, because if I failed, I wasn't going to get badly hurt. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't ever tap into that energy at a jump where I'm 30 feet off the ground. It, it wouldn't be safe. Um, but I'm curious if you, if you ever do use that, or if you see that it could be useful to use, use that energy just in a, a kind of a very strategic way. Yes, for sure. Uh, anger is a, is a close relative relative to, um, determination and will. Yeah. So when I get pissed off you know, and I want to do it, then it helps me to yeah, develop my will and my determination to do it. And so I guess there's nothing wrong with an element of, of I guess, frustration. You really want to get there. You know you have it in you, and it's just a matter of, of, of unlocking it. And it's okay. I think it brings, uh, yeah, it develops your, your determination to, to do it. Um, and as you said, if you, if, you, if you talk about balance, and it's a balanced thing, it's not, about, it's not all about the anger. You have an element of it enough to just build that will, and the rest is you know, calm and, and, and based on understanding of what's happening. Yeah. Uh, nothing wrong with that. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. It's like a, I think of it almost like a knife, right? You want the, the blade of the knife to be calmness, but maybe the edge is anger. And that's what helps you, helps you accomplish mm-hmm. what you need. Um, another way that I think about both fear and anger is those are emotions that you want to be able to ride and not be ridden by. Right? You don't want them, you don't ever want them to be in control. <laughs> When you, yeah. when you get to that point, yeah. you're, uh, and then yeah. again, that's and being aware, being aware it's, it's there, you know, there's a bit yeah. of anger, but you know, it's not, it's not that bad. And it pushed me to be more determined and actually, you know, really uh, take the task seriously. If you're aware of that, that's good. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about the last, um, the last enemy of fear, which is maybe my favorite, which is, so we'll say we have our, our dragon slayer energy, our dragon tamer energy, and then we have the trickster energy, right? The trickster energy is play, right? When you're truly engaged in a play state, when you're laughing and having fun, it's hard for fear to enter your heart. So um, the other way that I broke that jump that I was telling you about was I, uh, I started dancing and roughhousing with my friends. I put on music that I liked. I started kicking my buddy and punching him and, you know, just gently. And, and we were going back and forth. And as soon as I felt like really full of that playful energy, I walked over and I was able to do the jump. And, and so I was curious if you have any thoughts on, on how we tap into that energy as a power source as well. And, uh, and how we can balance the, these kind of three different, uh, modes of, of breaking fear. Yeah. Fun and play is very important part. I think park also reconnects you with your inner child and, and things we do when we, uh, when we were kids, you know, innocence like that. Um, so it's important. Uh, I guess also it helps you in that situation to relax and also touch with your calm, um, and you really re- relax, um, so that's good. And talking about balancing it out, I don't think it applies to every situation. 
when there's an element of life or death, you know, involved uh, life or death situation where you actually risk your life, if you miss the gem, you die. I personally can't use that technique to overcome the fear, yeah. uh, the fullness, the fun, the lightness. Um, I tend to become to approach it in a more serious way, uh, and that 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 pushes the um, playfulness a bit uh, a bit on the side. But that said, those situations they are rare. I don't, and except like that that challenge that I've been doing every day, I don't risk my life every day on a daily basis usually. So um, that seriousness that I have, it's pretty rare. Most of the time, I'd rather be light, playful, uh, enjoying dancing rhythm. I like dancing a lot. I think park was a form of dance in many ways as well. Um, so um, yeah, that's cool. Cool. So one more question about fear. Um, one thing I've noticed about fear is people often view fear as an enemy, something to be gotten rid of completely. But I actually feel like um, if I'm too unafraid, uh, then I'm going to die. <laughs> like fear is my friend. It tells me that, that, that a situation is serious and that if I actually get to the point where, where I don't feel afraid of something that I know is dangerous, I view that as a sign that, that there's something wrong with me and that I need to walk away from that situation right away. So I'm wondering if you've, you've noticed that as well, that, that there's a potential as you practice these things to become apathetic to your own fear in a way that's actually dangerous to you. Yeah, fear to me is an, is an opportunity. It's an indicator that there's something to understand and I have to get close and I have to face that and, and I have to understand and, and, and deal with that fear. It's really an, an opportunity for me to grow, like obstacles. Um, uh, any challenging situation, any, any, any discomfort, any um, that comes with you know, this kind of uncomfortable feeling and, and fear. I think it's, it's a great, great opportunity for us to grow. And we shouldn't shy away from that. We should actually go for it. Fear, okay, cool, let's go. What is it? What is it about? Scared, scared of what exactly? And then engage, get familiar. Uh, I think it's a very, very healthy uh, thing to do. Um, and now it's, it's, it's almost like a, um, a reflex. Fear, all right, cool, where? Let's go. Let's, let's go now. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm hungry. Um, um, yeah. It's, yeah. It's embracing the pain somehow. It's bizarre, but. Uh, I think I believe I learned that it, it, it's an opportunity for me to learn and grow. So it's cool. It's exciting. Let's go. Excellent. Okay. So, um, we're almost an hour into this, uh, now, and, um, that makes an hour and 40 minutes of an interview. So there's probably getting close to a, to a good wrap up time, but I really wanted to talk about task-based training before uh, we finish, because this was a thing that I really liked about your seminar. When you came here, you, um, you said, to us, I'm not going to teach you any techniques this weekend, which is um, maybe surprising for most people. Right? They think they're going to go to a seminar and they're going to learn techniques. But m one of the ideas that you were presenting, it seemed like, was that um, that the named techniques and the idea of really focusing on techniques was really secondary to the development of parkour. And I think that's something that really got lost as parkour spread from the, uh, across the internet. Like I, I remember about, a, I don't know, six to eight months into my training, I could do a Kong vault, I could do a dash vault, I could do a speed vault, I could do uh, all the named vaults, I could do a cat leap, I could do whatever. And I was kind of like, uh, I looked to my, my friend Dana, I was like, are we good at parkour now? Uh, <laughs> like, what's the next step beyond accomplishing this? So I sometimes think of the, 
the way that parkour was spread as it was like we popularized a bunch of tools but nobody knew what we were building with them so i want you to talk about uh, i'd love to hear you kind of break down why task-based training was important to you as something to remind the parkour community about yeah well you you said it all uh, it was really about <laughs> presenting parkour visions it was really about coming back to the origins and the original concepts that helped creating parkour and task-oriented problem solving was one of them all the techniques that are already here they are contributing to parkour being an established discipline uh, it's established now before it get to that stage where we are today and we all know it was a creation process. It was a magical thing. Well, the unknown, completely unknown experience. Can we do this? Let's try this. Let's try and find out. It was, so, it was, it was such a great learning uh, situation. And this is parkour. This is parkour. And that's why I said the, the, the parkour spirit is when you are in that zone. As soon as you move to practicing techniques, you are in a sport context. You, you practice an established, existing uh, sport and then you, you you remove very very important aspects of, of parkour that happen in the beginning um, so it was parkour origin was about concept based and, and and yeah so the guys before and then I, I I was lucky enough to start parkour at the time where it was still the end of that I, I tasted a bit of that creation process and I've seen David and the guys doing things that they didn't know. And it was really about, it was a quest, it was a research, it was exploring possibilities, exploring the, the human possibilities, uh, mind on the mind, the physical level. Uh, and, and it was real research, can we do this? And it was a lot of the, the call for the jump, it was really happening in the connection with, with, with you, your potential, can I do this? And try and find out and match, again, matching your, your vision, your thoughts with reality. And, and this is, again, a very, very important and valuable aspect of parkour. This is, for me, the worth of parkour. Outside that, you're just practicing sport. Um, and you should try to replicate that in different areas of your life. Because after 20 years of parkour, for me now, it's, it's, I'm practicing the sport of parkour a lot now. I'm not practicing the magic of, you know, connecting with the creation of something that you don't know, because I know parkour. I know parkour for 20 years now. I know it so well. I find myself in that situation when I write, because that's new to me, and I write now. And how do I write? No clue. I've never learned how to write. So it brings me back to that thing where I don't know. I have an idea. Let's try and find out, and let's match my vision with the reality. And when I write now, I I'm, 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 I'm experiencing some of that what I call the magic of the, when you create something. The first one you know, who created um, piano, for example, started to play piano, um, had something different than someone who's now going to piano lessons and start piano straight away, because he's, he's going to practice an established discipline that we already know. This is step one, step two, step three. This is the process. This is the practical way to, to practice piano. And then you go there. But the first, first one who started to type and then and connect with that oh that sound that's another sound let's put those sounds together and then and connect with yourself your soul and, and how you express yourself with that instrument uh, same with parkour you know we have a body as an instrument we have our space and environment we have ideas and thoughts 
and how do we create our own music with the, with the environment and that was what that was what was happening before and task training and problem solving was a big big part of that um, uh, connecting with your with your thought and ideas creativity can I do this can I do that create scenarios try and find out um, I just see it's very very essential to parkour yes it's really interesting for me because I, I kind of think I, I experienced a little bit of that process when I took my training from primarily urban to primarily natural. When I started moving in the trees. Um, it's like the the techniques that were popular, uh, they didn't quite fit, right? Like I'll give you a, a, an example. The the parkour climb up, really vital skill in, um, in urban parkour. But in nature, you almost never find a wall that's 90 degrees and 90 degrees on top. Mm-hmm. So you're rarely in a situation where you're going to use that exact skill. So either you're going to have the thing slanted and then it's a totally different skill or it's slanted the other way and you have to use a, a totally different technique. Or a lot of times, like if you're grabbing onto a branch, um, it's not going to be square. It's going to be twisted. And so you're going to have to spiral your body up. And so I had to go through this process of sort of learning to recognize opportunities in the environment that didn't look like the skills that I already had. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, I, I was lucky because there's, you know, Volunteer Park kind of uh, has this, a lot of places where you can do vaults. It has a lot of places where you can do tic-tacs. There's a lot of things that look like urban parkour to essential. Uh, to, uh, to but as I trained there, I started being able to start seeing things in other environments and more and more stuff. And what happened was when I started trying to teach people in nature, what I noticed was... Uh, that they seem to learn things by by being asked to get, do a task faster and in a more robust way than when I ask them to do a skill first. So I actually teach um, myself, I teach a task first. So I, I give people like go over this, this, and this. And then I try to teach people the principles. And then I try to teach people, okay, here are the individual skills and how you, you exercise them. So I think it's it's a really profound thing that's really missing um, in in the way that kind of we think about these skills now. So uh, I'd love to hear you talk just a little bit more about what what that looked like and and how you would apply that. How do you how do you train in a more tasks oriented way rather than a skill oriented way? Yeah, I think I pretty much haven't taught a technique in many years now um, I like the idea of, of creating a learning environment for someone and I know what's happening there I know what I want to get out of the situation the student doesn't know I want to create a learning situation and then I want to let the student find out so I, I stay very general with the task and I want them to engage with the task and then try to you know switch on their brain switch on their body and try and make them find out what kind of tools they have in hand for them to unlock the problem. And it's a personal journey, it's a personal answer. You, should, you have many different solutions to unlock a problem. What is yours? And how do you, you know, find out what's working for you? What do you have in, what are your abilities? And how do you use them to unlock? And it's a very personal thing. And I think there's a way more reward and benefits um, for someone to find out uh, by himself rather than me it's like I, 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 I set a problem and you find the answer. 
if I come with the answer straight away, you know how you know how to get there? This is a step forward. You gave away the answer. And, and you're removing a very important part of the process. And I think it's really sad when coaches give all those answers. And I know we have a lot of knowledge as coaches and we want to share, we want to give. But you're not helping them at the end of the day. So same as you, I just keep it simple. This is the task. How do you do? Oh, and then they start to sing. If they really, really don't get it, I'll give another element. And then once they perform, they, 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 they gave me their solution, then I will look, okay, how can we make your solution better? Or is there another solution? And then I'll go with uh, an, another element. And maybe if you really get completely wrong, maybe I'll step in and, you know what, if you put your hand there, it's going to make your life easier. But that comes to the very, very end, you know, if the person really, really doesn't get it. So That's awesome. Yeah, it's interesting that we're all kind of uh, evolving in this way. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the group Fighting Monkey. They teach uh, kind of dance, martial arts mixed, uh, the fighting monkey practice, whatever it is. Yeah. They had a video called Teaching Without a Teacher. And in the video they say basically um, when you teach a student, you steal everything from them. You take Mm. everything from them because you're taking away their own engagement with the process. And I I remember thinking about this a lot when we first started parkour. It was like when we first started teaching, it was because, you know, my generation, we didn't have anybody to learn from here in the States. So we, we learned, we taught ourselves and it was like, well, how do we give our students the best that we have to offer, but not lose whatever it was that, that we gained by, by having to go through the process ourselves. And that's I, very, very important because again, you know, it's easy to get lost with your ego and take the coverage for the task. And then it, it, at the end, it doesn't, it's not about the student. It's about you. It's about you showing your knowledge, you shining as a coach. Oh, I know so much. It's so good. I don't care. It's about the student. You are here to help and to serve. Do it. And yeah, very important. That was definitely, I would say the hardest lesson for me to learn as a teacher is, uh, you know, I have too much pride in my big analytical brain and, and I have so many brilliant things to say to the, <laughs> to the students. Yeah, <laughs> um, and, 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 it, and so often it's really actually just getting in their way. And, and to, to, to make the process about them is something that um, for all the young uh, teachers who are here, like recognize you're not, you're not this font of knowledge pouring itself out to people. You're just facilitating their journey. Mm-hmm. So, yes. Um, beautiful. I agree with that very much so. Um, well, I think that's probably a good place to have for us to stop, actually. Um, it was really it was great having you on. Um, you were my first Skype interview, so we had some hiccups, but I think it worked out all overall. Uh, hopefully we can do it again. Uh, and, and hopefully we'll, we'll see each other again soon. Um, uh, you know, maybe we, we can end up in Europe around the same time one of these days. Yeah. I like the idea. Yeah. I haven't been traveling much lately. I'm just very, very focused on Dubai now, but, um, I think everything in a, has a time and, it, and, a, and a place. So, um, yeah, I'm focused now, but I feel like I'm going to be traveling again soon. Excellent. Uh, is there anything you'd like to, to tell the audience? Um, any parting words before we, we end the podcast? Mm, I might, I might brief. I might say again what I've said in, in the monkeys back many years ago is, is really about making sure you're happy when you practice parkour. And if you're not, find something that will make you happy, another practice, whatever that is. Um, I really wish people, you know, we, we're all here to live and, and be happy. We all have our struggles, our sufferings. And um, 
I find Parkour very, very useful tool for me to help me grow in many ways and make you know make me a better person, better version of myself. So I can have a more significant, meaningful impact on the world and other people around me. And that works for me. If it's not working for you, then really ask yourself, uh, why am I practicing Parkour? And should I practice something else on top of Parkour if, it's, if Parkour is not bringing me what I'm looking for? And, and being very blunt, honest in that sense. Um, because I wish people not to jump more. I want people to uh, live better lives, really. So, yeah, that would be my advice. Very good advice. Um, excellent. For those who don't know, um, The Monkey's Back, or Le Songe de Retour, if I uh, pronounce that anywhere near correctly, um, do it, yes. is, uh, is a documentary produced by Julie Angel uh, back in, what, 2007? 2006, I, I believe. 2006. Yeah, 2006. It was a huge influence on my, my training. It's a really wonderful documentary, and uh, I heard through the grapevine that there's going to be a follow-up. Yeah, exactly. On that note, I just talked to Julia recently, and then we're both really keen to work on a part two and complete the message that's been shared in the first time. My English is better, hopefully. So, mm-hmm. And plus, I think my, my, um, my conclusion and my, the maturity, the experience I have, uh, led to having a clearer message that I want to share with the community. Hopefully, it will help people um, with their practice and their lives. Yeah. Yeah. So if you want to know more about Stefan, um, definitely go watch the original The Songes de Retour um, or The Monkey is Back documentary. Um, where else can people find you? Where should they be um, learning more about you? My Facebook page, Stefan Vigou. I started to rewrite articles again and then try to put regular content out there about Paco and, and, and its key messages and life lessons. So Facebook, personal page, Stefan Vigou, or my Instagram. I'm going to release a... Three videos this week after you, I'm just going to release one uh, quick video about the handstand challenge I've been doing for months. So on Instagram, Stefan underscore Vipu, you'll find me there. And uh, yeah. Cool. We'll put all that in the show thanks, notes. Thanks a lot. Yeah, thank you. Thanks a lot for having me. I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, um, thank you. All the best with your journey, your practice. Uh, your teaching adventures and, and uh, you're doing a good job um, I just can see by the the smiles on your students face you know they're, 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 they look like happy people and you're doing a good job so um, well done and, and, and all the best awesome thank you very much Stefan and, and likewise to you thanks a lot <laughs>